When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Howdy, folks. Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in southern Idaho. Want to say hi to a couple of people. Uh, Schnitzel Fluster over there in Germany let me know that over there they had what they call the Hain House, which is where the executioner stayed outside the city limits. Evidently, because he took place in hangings, he was not allowed to live in the city. And he also mentioned a number of historical sites that he's been to over there. Also to Brian up there in Oregon City, longtime listener. Uh, he's had some great suggestions for some shows. So, Brian, thank you. And Merrill, up there in Washington. Evidently, I did a story on uh, Ezra Meeker a while back. Well, Merrill lives just two or three miles from the Meeker Mansion, and there's actually a statue of Ezra Meeker over there. So, Schnitzel, Brian, and Merrill, thank you for writing. Now, I'm going to continue with uh, stories about uh, uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition. So, uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition reached the Columbia River near present-day Pasco, Washington, on October 16, 1805. They had traveled, according to their estimation, 3,714 miles over 17 months. Now, the question I have, and I don't know the answer, is how did they measure those miles? That's a question I, I wish I knew the answer to. But they saw the big river, you know, the Columbia. And what a sense of accomplishment to know that they had made it to the river that would take them to the Pacific Ocean. Now, in flood season, this river was a raging torrent, just like the snake. But uh, they came uh, at a time when the river was low water, so they didn't have quite as severe the rapids and the white water that would normally come, say, in the spring of the year. Well, they had barely made their camp at the confluence of the Snake and Columbia at the site of the present-day Sacagawea Park when they were greeted with a drumming and singing entourage led by a chief from a camp about a quarter mile upriver. These were the Wanapums and Yakimas. Now, language-wise, they are actually related to the Nez Perce, so their guides, the Nez Perce guides, were able to easily trans- translate. 
Now, the captains gave medals and handkerchiefs and shirts to the chiefs. They even uh, bought seven dogs. They were given fish and about 20 pounds of a very fat, dried horse meat. Uh, this was their first look at the huge salmon fishing culture of the Columbia. There were salmon everywhere, dead, dying, drying, and being caught. So it must have been an amazing sight for them to see all this, uh, these fish. Well, by the time they left that camp, two days later, they had purchased another 40 dogs. Now get this, folks, by now the preferred meat of most of the men. Now I've never eaten meat, uh, dog, and I really don't intend to. So October 18th, 1805, the explorers continued downriver by water. Just downstream from the mouth of the Walla Walla River, the Columbia swings hard to the west and enters a series of deep gorges. Now, between this point and the eastern slopes of the Cascades, the journal entries note the significant change in the terrain. They are now entering what they call the Wallula Gap. Now, this was a landmark that marks the beginning of a very narrow gorge. So here again, you can imagine what kind of rapids and whitewater there might be coming up. Well, that night they camped just below the Walla Walla River. Um, the, they were visited by some Walla Walla Indians and their chief, a chief by the name of Yellupt, who was friendly to them. Later, he would help them on their return journey. Now, language-wise, they were related to the Nez Perce. So again, the Nez Perce chiefs served as interpreters for Lewis and Clark. So the interpreters were the Nez Perce uh, chief Twisted Hair, which I mentioned last week, and Tetaharski, which I probably mispronounced, uh, better known as Bighorn. So they were very helpful in establishing friendly relations and in finding a safe passage through the rapids. From a high point, uh, Clark spotted Mount Hood. Now, they didn't know that it was Mount Hood. The explorers were not aware they were seeing Mount Hood, and they called it Tim or Falls Mountain for a time. Well, below present-day Hat Rock, Oregon, were the Umatilla Rapids, which Clark named the Muscle Shell because there was big uh, heaps of stacks of shells found there and all along the Columbia. These shells were from the freshwater mussels, which was an important item for the Indians. Now here, Clark took out his gun and he shot a sandhill crane and found that he had frightened the people in a village on the other shore, on the north side, which is now Washington. And they were so scared, they shut themselves in their lodges. Well, Clark wrote they would not be comforted until the chiefs, the Nez Perce guides arrived to interpret. It seems they'd never seen a gun before, and when they saw the crane fall from the sky in a clap of thunder, they said, quote, we came from the clouds and were not men at all. Well, everything went ended okay. Uh, Clark gave some gifts, and uh, the chief explained the uh, situation. Now, the journals uh, with descriptions of the rapids uh, According to Clark, many were termed, quote, bad rapids and, quote, very bad rapids as they approached the narrows of the Columbia. They saw Indians who watched them as they passed, and they stopped often to smoke and talk. So the Corps of Discovery had hoped for a float trip from the divide to the ocean. They thought it would be just kind of an easy float in their canoes. 
but it was not to be, and the roughest of all the waters they encountered was the 55 miles of rapids and churning waters in narrow passages that began with Salilo Falls, 38 feet high. They portaged their supplies around Salilo uh, Falls, which is actually near uh, present-day the Dalles, which you're probably familiar with. Uh, well, they took out the dugouts to the uh, side of the river where they were dragged around the falls uh, close to or below the present-day boat ramp at Salilo Park. Well, uh, camp that night was uh, the river on a, on a sandbar on the Washington side. Just below Salilo Falls, the explorers began to see large numbers of seal that they saw, thought were sea, sea otters. Now, the Columbia River Gorge is a spectacular river canyon, up to 4,000 feet deep in places, you know, uh, similar to our Snake River Canyon and Hell's Canyon, you know, these steep, steep uh, mountains that would be very, very difficult to climb out of the river, even if you wanted to. Well, uh, where the river narrows, the Indians created fishing stations where fish could be easily speared as they migrated past. Crowded together in great numbers from one side of the river to the other, the warm winds that blow up the gorge created an ideal place for fishing and trading uh, for the villages 200 years ago. Now, the main village of the Wishram Indians was on the north bank near present-day Wishram, Wishram, Washington. Uh, And it was here that the most intense trading took place. Across the river, the Wasco Indians on the south side occupied the present-day Oregon area. Well, the Dalles at the present-day city of the Dalles, Oregon, consisted of a quarter mile of what they called the Short Narrows, and Clark described it as, quote, agitating, gut-swelling, boiling, and whirling in every direction. Now, they actually shot those rapids with these dugout canoes. Can you imagine? These were not very easy to, to maneuver. And it was quite astonishing to the Indians who watched them from the top of a rock. Well, the Dalles was a significant dividing line between the northwest coast and the Plateau Indians and between the two language families, the Shahapshin and Chinookan. So the Shahapshin chiefs, who had accompanied the expedition from the Clearwater to Tokhorsky and Twisted Hair, by now, they were ready to leave. They stated correctly that they could no longer interpret the new this different language. So they were persuaded to stay a couple of more days while the explorers affected uh, what they thought was a peace treaty between the Shehapshians and the Chinookans. Gifts and medals were given, followed by dancing and fiddling, uh, playing in the evening. However, the claim that they negotiated a treaty was not quite right. You see, the explorers had very little or no understanding of the complexities of intertribal politics, and to claim they had negotiated a treaty was somewhat presumptuous. Well, the next day, Tohorsky and Twisted Hair took off. They left to return upriver to the Nez Perce, but they would again meet the explorers on the return trip. Now, again, after the scary, dangerous short narrows came what they called the long narrows, which was also just as dangerous, whitewater rapids. 
men who could not swim, and valuable articles were sent around the Long Narrows, and the canoes were sent through two at a time, steered by the experienced boatmen. Again, these dugout heavy canoes. I just don't know how they were able to maneuver them. Anyway, after this day-long torture, they gave themselves a chance to rest for three days at a place called Fort Rock. They used this same camp on the return trip. Now, the trip took nine days from Salilo Falls to the Dalles. The canoes they used, as like I said, they were the dugouts made of ponderosa pine. They'd been built a month earlier in present-day Idaho. The dugouts worked really good for the Nez Perce, who instructed in making them, but again, they were bulky. They were hard to manage in this whitewater. So, continuing on, they passed the Klickitat, Hood, and White Salmon Rivers. The Columbia creates a great gash through the Cascade Mountains, and water flowing to the river creates beautiful waterfalls. Now, any of you that have ever traveled through there, which I have a number of times, there's Multnomah Falls, which is a beautiful place to stop and climb up, and you can get clear up to the top of the falls for a, a beautiful view. So I encourage you to stop at Multnomah Falls anytime you're traveling there. Now, 45 miles below the Dalles came the final obstacle, the Cascades, or Grand Rapids, of the Columbia. This time, they faced four miles of continuous falls and chutes, again, whitewater. It took two days to descend that four-mile stretch. They walked around the obstacles, single file. Remember Sacagawea? Carrying her baby. The empty canoes were floated through, uh, held by ropes. Now, today we can only see the slow-moving waters created by the John Day, the Dalles, and the Bonneville Dams, but uh, the total number of salmon and ocean-going trout is thought to be between 10 and 15 million a year at the time. So you can see the, uh, the Native Americans could just throw a spear in almost without even aiming and pull up salmon and trout. Now, these fishing grounds supported a huge population of Indians strung out along the riverbanks or concentrated in trading centers from Celilo Falls downstream past the Dalles. It was a place of trade and cultural exchange, and various languages could be heard here, like the Yakimas, the Wanapams, the Walulas, Umatillas, Wishrams, uh, Taninos, Watlalas, Multnomas, Catlamets and Wakiyakums. These all came to exchange goods. And I know you're wondering, how did I pronounce all those correctly? I don't know, and I don't know if I did. Anyway, the Corps saw towering stacks of salmon, which Clark estimated to be about 10,000 pounds each. Now, there were three major salmon runs from the spring through the fall. But it was the fall season that brought the biggest runs, and that is when fishing and trading intensified. I want to continue this story next week, so we'll talk more about the trading that took place in this river as they headed on down to the uh, end of the Columbia and Fort Clatsop. So I hope you enjoy hearing about Lewis and Clark, the Corps of Discovery, and uh, what an amazing uh, adventure these men had, and bravery beyond description. So, hope you enjoyed that, folks. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. 
depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.